Hey everybody and welcome to the show. We're breaking it down. My name is Chris Maraboli and I'm joined as always by Dr. Sherry. What's going on? Hey, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you today? Good, thanks. Today we're going to be talking about Albert Einstein, Bob Woodward, and not from a political point of view. There are brilliant experts with greater political science IQ than mine to address this issue, but specifically as it relates to his process and problem solving and information gathering. We're going to be talking about the effects of social media and post-truth era on anxiety. And if you bear with us, we're going to break it down and explain how taking the time to gather as many facts as possible before making a decision can help you in improving your life. I can't wait. And as always, well, it's not as always since it's the first episode, but you'll come to find, as always, we're starting the show with a quote. Albert Einstein is credited as saying, a clever person is someone who can solve a problem, but a wise person is someone who can avoid them. Yeah, well, I think that's true to a certain extent, Chris, but, you know, because if we make productive choices and we set daily and long-term goals and take actions toward those goals each day, we can avoid many negative influences and situations. But as you well know, sometimes problems fall into our lap. And that's true, I think, either on an individual basis or on a societal basis. Um, And we always have several choices, right? We can run. We can avoid an issue, we can blame others and become really emotional about it, or we can be creative in our problem solving. And sometimes it needs someone who can think outside the box to affect change, someone who's willing to take risk and be a target for powerful world players. After all, in my opinion, change is oftentimes revolutionary and not evolutionary. I love it. I love it. And actually, you've had some experience with that in your own industry. I don't know how much you want to get into it, but you have been called the Aaron Brockovich of uh, sports medicine, huh? The fight world. Uh, yes, that's true. And I think that'd be a great podcast for another time. <laughs> great podcast for another time. She's leaving us hanging. Bob Woodward, he appeared on Colbert this week. I encourage everyone to go check it out. It was, uh, it was a really interesting show. I learned a lot from it, um, including what I did not know was that Bob was also the guy who kind of took down Nixon. Yeah, so this is uh, was a wide, uh, pretty much of an awakening for me because my memories are actually Chris's history, um, and I didn't realize that you know there was anybody around. To me, it's like a, a memory from from childhood. So um, I didn't realize that anybody wouldn't have known that. So bearing that in mind, um, I'm going to just give a little bit of recap. Um, Bob Woodward is the associate uh, editor of the Washington Post. He's the author of the book Fear. Um, and about 45 to 46 years ago, Carl Bernstein uh, and Bob Woodward were uh, responsible for breaking the big Watergate scandal. Um, and they used a unique journalistic style, um, and they developed it with using anonymous sources. And it was hard work. They did a lot of cross-referencing. They kept documentation, um, and then they brought that information to the public so they can make an objective decision. Um, and also so that, you know, the, the political wheels could could take effect and, and do what they needed to do. Um, it wasn't really just about the Watergate break-in. It wasn't about the burglary. It became something much, much larger, and that was uh, the sabotage against the Democrats. Um, and, and that was spearheaded pretty much by the Nixon re-election committee. Um, Bob Woodward has also written other books about presidents. I didn't know if you knew that. Um, President, former President Obama and Clinton and G.W. Bush as well. So he's 
quite an experienced and well-rounded journalist. I, I was unaware of all of this, but my favorite thing is that 46 years ago, water break broke and you remember it. <laughs> yep. My cognitive function is still there, Chris. You're, you're still kicking. I'm still, still kicking. kicking. But I found this really interesting, this, this older style of journalism, because for me growing up, especially I think since about high school, I've had Twitter. And I get pretty much all of my news on Twitter. And we've had these conversations before. But it, it's it's this new kind of fast media. And it's it's looking at the headlines and then pretending you know a subject because you read the headline. And I've kind of likened it to fast food versus real food. Um, fast food is going to stop you from being hungry. But it's not necessarily the nutrients that your body needs. Uh, whereas real food will give you nutrients, proteins, all the stuff that you need. I think information is kind of like that where we're, we're getting the, on Twitter, we're getting kind of the McDonald's of, of news articles sometimes, and mm -hmm. we need to be searching for the better sources. Right. Well, that's, that's an interesting comparison. And I'm going to give a, just a little bit of a sidebar because they've done functional MRIs and other brain studies on people who've kind of grown up on devices or with devices. And what they're showing is there's actually a repatterning of brain structure um, whereby attention is is a little bit less um, what it was in the past. And I noticed that. Yes. <laughs> right? That it doesn't <laughs> yeah, affect your that. friends well, as well? We were talking about this yesterday. I, uh, the only time I can enjoy a movie is when I'm on an airplane because I can't check my phone. Yeah. Which is, which is crazy, right? Yeah. right? And the other thing is that the ability to kind of synthesize or do that third-order thinking, so taking facts and develop, developing them into creative ideas or synthesizing you know, an outcome from factual information is changing as well. And it remains to be seen whether or not that's going to be advantageous or disadvantageous, especially in the era of uh, AI. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be interesting. But it, it is something that you notice there's almost – Never any downtime. No. Like I remember as a kid, there was just sometimes you were bored and you'd have to think like now there's never any downtime. Even I'm sitting on the train into Manhattan. There's I don't I'm listening to something. I'm playing a game on my phone. I'm reading some nonsense. There, there's never time to just think and develop your thoughts right. for yourself, really. Right. And that's something that I think is important to get back to. And I think in the long run, we'll allay anxiety and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, it's really interesting also getting back to that um, concept of self-reinforcement, which is that we're, as much as we're connected, we're really very, becoming a very isolationist group. We live in, you know, you'd call it like an echo chamber, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would call it an internment camp pretty much in our own minds. So, you know, we're in our own chat rooms. We, you know, listen to news that on, on stations and in uh, kind of the traditional media that reinforce our own ideas. Um, you know, we have our own friends and Twitter accounts that reinforce, so we're listening consistently to things that reinforce. And the consequence of that is that we are not open so much to ideas from other people. So when we're challenged by that, you know, we really don't know how to react anymore. Right. Well, but, it's so easy. It, it's so easy to just pigeonhole yourself into never hearing a, 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 a differing opinion. Correct. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it would kind of affect how we have conversations and how we hear how we hear people we don't agree with and easy to shut them out um where do you think we we go from there how do you think we we bridge the gap to get back to well i think that action 
okay, is really important. We need to slow down. We need to sit and take actions that control our anxiety by doing the work ourselves. And that's something that's not going to be that easy to do because we're used to, as you were saying, just that instant gratification of Twitter, of getting things quickly. But if you don't have that information at your fingertips, if you don't know the facts for yourselves, there's no reference point. And that creates anxiety. So that action by taking control of what you what you can do is important. And one of the things you can do is stretching a little bit. Don't be afraid to listen to a podcast that may not be within your normal realm. Right. Look for the facts in in news media that may not agree with your your initial assessment because some of those facts may hit you and say, wait a minute, maybe I need to reassess this. Okay. Take action by voting, okay. In the, in the midterm elections, but don't do it on the basis of your Twitter account or what your celebrity is saying you should do. Do the work and do your own homework, okay? Use objective data to make decisions for yourself. And I think if you do that, you'll feel as though you have a little bit more control. And that's true not only in a societal picture, but also in your own life. Well, well personally, you almost have to be a revolutionary in your own life. You need to you know, you could say something like, oh, I've always wanted to try this, but you never try it. Maybe it's time to try it. Maybe it's time to, you know, get out of bed and start doing something. I know I did it in my own life with stand-up comedy. I had um, dropped out of college and for maybe a year, I was just kind of floating around doing nothing. And something that I always wanted to try, something I was always a fan of, listened to in the car and all that. And I just decided, you know what, one day I'm going to do this. So I did and changed my life drastically. So, And there's a thousand more examples I can think of. I'm sure you have a thousand examples of your own life that, that you've done something like that. And I would encourage everyone to, when you say, I think I might like to try that, go try it. There's nothing stopping it. Right. Yeah. right. If you don't take an action, that is a form of action, and all that's doing is inhibiting your potential. Yeah, and causing you more anxiety. Correct. Especially, uh, I believe, my generation is one of the most anxiety-ridden generations in history. Yes, that's true. And Reuters has actually came out with a story a couple of days ago that said it's not just a, a U.S. phenomenon. It's a global phenomenon now. Wow. Yeah, which is which is quite incredible. That's incredible. It's yeah. something we'll have to get into at some point. Um, uh, so I, I yeah. would say, you know, if you're um, not part of the solution, then you're actually part of a problem. And you can look very, very individually, we were talking about, you know, relationships, right? So if, if, for example, you have an argument with a coworker, or you have a disagreement, or you hear somebody said something about you, right? We tend to live in that kind of mean girl society now where we just go with it, and we react emotionally. Maybe we should just take a step back and use process of objective data gathering so we can remove a little bit of that emotion and make decisions appropriately. Right? Find out, wait, did this person really say that? Or what is this a reaction to in terms of my coworker? And then I think you'll have a much more productive outcome in the long run. And I think that you'll be more content personally and professionally and hopefully societally. So, yeah, hopefully, and hopefully we did something we can, uh, to help you out today. Hopefully we made your day just a little bit brighter. Um, we'll be back with another episode very soon. Dr. Sherry? Well, until next time, just remember you have to live each day to its fullest with passion, compassion, and introspection. Till next time. Till next time.